Welcome back to the End Credits Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. We greatly appreciate it. Today, we are talking about American Psycho. I'm joined once again by my good friend, Phoenix Cloud. And Phoenix, how are you, my friend? I am disturbed, (laughs) especially because of this movie. But other than that, I'm fine. (laughs) Well, we will certainly get into why that is. But uh, American Psycho, directed by Mary Heron, starring Christian Bale. We got a lot to talk about here. We got a lot to talk about. So before we dive into this, however you are listening to this show, we really appreciate you checking us out. If you could please... Uh, go back, check out our other episodes if you like this one, whether you're a new listener or a frequent listener. We do appreciate all your support. We are still a growing podcast, so anything you could do to support, we would greatly appreciate that. Um, all right, without further ado, let's get into it. American Psycho, 2000, right at the turn of the century. Phoenix, this was your first time with the iconic movie, wasn't it? Yes, yes, it was. And I was unprepared, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> so let's let's talk about that. Like, did you have any expectations or anything? No, I mean, all I knew is that it starred Christian Bale. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'm mostly mixed on uh, Bale's performances and movies. Um, yeah. You know what I'm saying? He he doesn't really get me as as uh as some actors do. But um so that was really it. The only thing I knew about it was that he was in it, that it was some kind of horror movie. Uh, that was really it. Um I didn't really I didn't read the synopsis until last night, and I was like, oh, okay, that that's what this is about. And um yeah, and I got both pleasantly surprised and both and also pleasantly disturbed like i said uh also like christian bale is in this yes but like dude so is uh chloe savigny so is uh willem josh defoe. lucas willem dafoe jared, jared leto yeah yeah there's a lot yeah. of a lot of really recognizable folks in this movie um, for those who are unaware, American Psycho is about Patrick Bateman, uh, young, wealthy, and narcissistic <laughs> investment banker who uh, just has a lot of strange habits, right? A lot of things that interest him are specifically, or rather hyper-specific things like business cards and um, music. And, and music's not a hyper-specific thing, but the things that he talks about specifically with the history of music. It's just strange. So um, definitely a a weird guy. (laughs) And we follow his life as he basically goes on this killing spree over the course of, you know, a a couple weeks or a couple of days. It it seems like it's a couple weeks. All right. So with American Psycho, um there's a lot to talk about casting wise we'll get into that but i want to start with the plot and continue down this path we're already going on did this story kind of play out like you thought it would as it was going along did it take any turns that you were like without talking about maybe the ending what did you appreciate throughout the first couple acts of this movie um you know it's interesting because i've seen 
it 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 falls in the same vein of a lot of um i guess you could call it disturbed character studies um you know the taxi drivers the jokers things of that nature and what i really liked <laughs> what i thought was very interesting that they did in this particular movie as opposed to the like the other ones that i've seen is that uh one of the things that Patrick Bateman does that I don't think any other serial killer does. I mean, you guys can, if you know, you can tell me because I probably haven't seen that movie, but he speaks his internal monologues out loud. <laughs> like like yeah. normally those things are narrated in voiceover and you hear them, but he actually says them. But I don't think anybody else hears him when he says it. So he doesn't know that he's saying it out loud. It's a weird thing that they do, but it, it's so funny and it and it works. Like he's at the bar trying to get a drink and she's like, oh, it's a cash bar only. It's like, oh, that's fine. And he gives her cash. And then he just flat out yells like you stupid. You know, like, I'll kill you and drain in your blood. And she like she doesn't hear him. Well, he yells and I'm like, I was like, oh, OK, so maybe. He he's thinking these things, but he just imagines he's saying them out loud i don't know but i thought that was just a unique uh twist on that whole concept for sure for sure so one of these and we'll go into a lot of spoilers actually let's just do it right now <laughs> i think it's i think it's hard to talk about this movie without talking about spoilers so at this point we are going to spoil so if you don't want to hear about american is psycho please go it's only 23 years recording old. now yeah well i mean Still. <laughs> so he goes on this killing spree, right? And basically all of it's in his head. Mm. And none of it was truly real. Even though the filmmaking side of it was tremendous, right? Especially mm -hmm. that that kill of uh, Jared Leto's character, Paul Allen, and then like killing, just shooting people after um, the, he, the ATM says to feed <laughs> the cat to him. <laughs> He just goes on this massive killing spree where he shoots an old woman and cops and <laughs> and then a bunch of just um, front desk people. Like it was wild. It was that wild. was that was and hilarious. All of that looked so real. Right, it was all in his head. And the thing that really frustrates me, maybe less about this movie, but just in general, we watch a lot of films, right? Mm -hmm. I just can't get behind movies that are. It was all in the character's head. <laughs> Maybe it's because we've seen it so many times. Mm. Maybe because when that plot point comes along, all of them are more or less the same thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, you look at Joker, Fight Club, American Psycho, King of Comedy. It's like all of those are pretty much more or less the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. And it's just hard because... I'm sure back in 2000, this was revolutionary. Mm -hmm. But in today's world, this is still a good movie. You can still watch it and enjoy the hell out of it. But the ending and the big reveals, it's like, ah, really? So mm. none of it actually happened and he's just a crazy guy, as in American Psycho? Mm -hmm. I, I don't I don't know. You know, the, the author who wrote the books, so this is an adaptation of a book. The author who wrote the book said that he did not want this to be adapted into a movie because he felt like with the book, it can be more ambiguous. Mm -hmm. He said that um, 
with a movie, it almost demands answers. And even mm-hmm. if you want to be ambiguous with a movie, which there are plenty of movies that end without giving you a clear cut answer. However, he felt like visually this story would show you what was going on. And in the book, he says there's so much more ambiguity. So he never wanted this adapted. And he feels like the ending does a poor job of translating from the book. Um, I would have to agree with the author on that because I left this movie really questioning. I was like, so what was real? What wasn't? Um, was any of it real? Like, where where exactly is this guy? Like, is he even sitting where he's sitting? You know what I'm saying? Like, because his mind was so gone at this point, right? Yep. It's like, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Like, uh, and I think at the end, uh, his lawyer, the guy that he's talking to, doesn't his lawyer call him a, a totally different name and something? He's like, He's like, yeah, bro, that's that's not you. And he's like, I'm Patrick Bateman. And he's like, no, you're somebody else. And I'm like, wait, what is going like how much of this is real or not? Like it was such a I think because it was kind of. Rushed and thrown together at the end, like it was like, uh, I I, I can't follow all of this. It it just it didn't it didn't add up to, to everything that came before it. So that was that was my only issue was like the ending is so completely just jumbled together that it doesn't really satisfy everything that we've seen uh, previously. And that's the only thing that sucks, because for the most part, this was an enjoyable, incredible, visually stunning movie. And it just didn't tie it just didn't come all the way together and that that's that sucks think, i think for me like I, I don't think it's rushed necessarily mm. i don't think it's rushed as much as if you're gonna leave a film ambiguous you want the film you want to give the audience enough knowledge of both sides of the coin mm. like reality and then whatever the staged version or you know non-real thing is mm-hmm I don't want to simply just compare it to Inception, but Inception does this pretty damn well. It's, you know, here are the rules of if you're dreaming, here are the rules of when you're not. And then the film ends with you saying, hmm, Mm -hmm. we don't know. How about a movie like, and Phoenix, I know you don't like this movie, but it brings up a fair point. How about a movie like The Green Knight? Same thing. You don't know what happened at the end there, but it clearly defines what happens in this fictitious scenario and what doesn't. In American Psycho, everyone leaves and they're like, so wait, what? What? What yeah. happened? Now, we have other – we're going to break this down, right, for mm-hmm. our listeners who may be a little frustrated. We're going to break this down. I have some theories. I have some things I want to say. But just from a filmmaking perspective, like, this would have been a lot more effective in, instead of the pull the rug out, like, no, every everyone's alive. I'll see you later for dinner. They could have done a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Like, what if we saw Paul Allen, Jared Leto's character alive, right? Right. Like, what if we saw him in the ending scene? Um, I just, I don't understand, too. Like, Bateman thinks he kills him. 
and then he attempts to pack him up and make it look like he like took a vacation, but then he actually did take a vacation. Mm. So the convenience of that worked out. Maybe I'm missing something. Did you did you notice anything like that? Yeah, it was like I said, it was just so muddled, right? Like you bring up a good point. It, it would have been great to see what was real and what wasn't, right? Just so we have that contrast because not having it, it just kind of threw off exactly what I think the, the the idea that they were trying to get across because we watched this guy, you know, brutalize multiple people for the entire movie. Like, and it's never like, it's never once like, hey, Maybe uh, like, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, I don't know. It's never once like a uh, half in, half out or anything like that. It's all straightforward. This is what he's doing. And we never see anything outside of that. Like even in the last moment when Gene, his uh, his secretary is going through his his uh, plan book and all she sees is like drawings of murders and stuff like that. And it's like so that that apparently is real. Right. So it's like, so I think what they're trying to say there is that's what, where he's fantasizing. That's where the things that we're seeing, that's where they actually are. They're actually in the plan book. They're not actually, uh, he's not actually doing them, but then I'm going, okay, well then what is he doing? You know what I'm saying? Like, what is he actually doing? So that that to me is the weird weird thing, but I get I guess because again it's it's very ambiguous it's very left very ambiguously. Right. Okay. So I wanna I wanna talk about the um, like the fact that Patrick Bateman is just in this distorted world in general. We talk about how weird it is that he has such a fascination with business cards mm-hmm. and. His colleagues do that too, but let's talk about a couple other things, right? One of the first few scenes of the movie is that shot around his home and he's like going through his daily routine of working out and the the facials and everything. Mm -hmm. Apparently he states his address where he lives before he states his name. So there we go. Like that's a, you know, difference in priority. He does around, I think he says a thousand sit-ups or, or whatever it is mm-hmm. which is a ridiculous amount like no matter who you are that is a ridiculous amount mm-hmm. Almost no reason to do that many per day you look at um the stuff that he has on the tv just in general i think there's two that come to mind for me he's got one of the scenes from saw running in the background while he's just doing his workout hey. you've got this this woman on the tv violently screaming because she's in a Saw movie, and that's almost comforting to him. Mm. And then one of the other ones is when he is on the phone with his affair, and there's just a adult film going on in the background yeah. while he's on the phone. So this is just distorted as far as his out of touch with reality. And I think instantly, you know, the film does drop you clues, right? It drops you clues that this guy is not of a sane mind. And of course, we see that with what transpires in the third act. But like, 
it's just very interesting that they drop those so immediately and they're almost trying to tell you right away this guy so, like something's wrong immediately and and in a first watch without diving into it deeper i can see where that might be missed yeah and and it's it's very cleverly done that he's you know he's speaking about where he lives and his skincare routine and it it ties in later too as he's talking as before like all of these killings he's talking about different artists and and you know saying <laughs> how music hits him and stuff like that which each time i got to admit it was some of the funniest things i've ever heard in my life like just the idea of someone who's this psychopathic and you know irrationally violent speaking eloquently about Huey Lewis and the news and and Whitney Houston and <laughs> you know what I'm saying it's just like these are the mo- th- like this this disconnect is so wild i will say like of of one thing that they did expertly well is showing how completely disconnected this person is like as a person just completely gone (laughs) so one of the one of the only people who he has the opportunity to kill and does not is his secretary Mm -hmm. when she comes over and it's like a date and she he's about to kill her but doesn't um She's really the only one who's not self-absorbed of the people that he has the opportunity to kill and mm-hmm. does not. Now, we look at, like, Paul Allen, self-absorbed. And right. I know we talk about, like, he didn't actually kill these people, but just in the sense of what we're seeing in the film, right? Mm-hmm. Kills Paul Allen, pretty self-absorbed. Then when he's at Paul Allen's place and he invites one of his friends over with Christy, the stripper, um, kills the friend, who's pretty self-absorbed. It was, that was evident from her couple-minute scene that she was in. Um, she He does kill Christy, who we're not sure is self-absorbed necessarily. She's maybe teetering that line. Right. Um, I think she's a pretty innocent character, but I think the other piece of this, too, is that when he struggles to kill his secretary or not, uh-huh. He struggles to figure out what type of weapon he wants to use. Uh-huh. With everyone else, it was very clear. It was the axe. It was the chainsaw. It was eating them. Um, with the secretary, he gets the tape. He looks at knives. He's like really trying to figure it out before he eventually goes to the nail gun. And sure, he doesn't follow through with it because his fiance calls him, whatever the case is he still felt some guilt. It's not like the fiance call completely, completely saved this woman's life. Like he still felt some guilt. He still said like, if you leave something bad will happen, I'll hurt you. Uh-huh. Um, I think that was definitely intentional that one of the few characters in the movie that he's in a situation where he can kill, he doesn't is one of the few people that's actually kind to him. Yeah. It is. <laughs> It's interesting too because it leaves you it leaves you perplexed because there are moments in the film, especially in the beginning, when he's like sitting around the table and he's talking with his friends, and you know she uh, 
dude tries to like bring up some something. He says something uh, anti-Semitic, and and Patrick, you know, checks him. He's like, bro, like you know, there's there's no reason for that. And then later they're at the dinner, and like he he gives a speech that I'm like I I 100 agree with. He was talking about you know we gotta feed the homeless and we gotta. <laughs> We got to, you know, give women their equal rights and all of, all of this stuff. I was like, yeah, dude. But I'm like, when you contrast that with what he's doing, at least in his mind, what he wants to do was like, dude, that's to have that level of disconnect from the things that you are saying to the things that you actually do and believe. Uh, I just thought like the way that they contrasted that, that was dark, like incredibly dark. And, and and unsettling, like really, I'm very unsettled by this movie. Um, but I just, I'm, I'm so, I have a disconnect with this film because I'm like, I really loved what took what took place in the first hour and a half of this movie. But the end, I mean. You see, you see in certain moments where they're kind of giving it away to you, because um, uh, the detective Willem Dafoe he says, yep. you know, uh, they talked to somebody and they said that these guys were all in in some place. And he's like, and you were there too, and he's like, oh, and they just sort of cut from that, and it's like he was somewhere else, and he didn't even know he was there, like, right. and we that don't, we don't ever see that play right. Out. We never see that play out. So, like, what he's referring to and what you're referring to, Phoenix, is that night that him and Paul Allen do go to the restaurant and it's just the two of them. There's no one there. And they're, like, shouting about the drinks they want to order. And then they go back to Bateman's place and Bateman kills him. But then Willem Dafoe's character, the detective, is trying to get out, like, where were you that night? Where were you that night? Okay, you were with all your buddies and Paul Allen. We never saw that on screen. Right. That's what you're referring to. We saw something completely different, which, you know, the unreliable narrator is such a popular, yeah, um, you know, theme throughout a lot of movies when you're talking about insanity and it was all in their head. But like, this is an interesting take on it because you really can examine so many scenes like the one you're talking about and be like, well, not only did he not kill Paul Allen, did this even happen? Did he go to dinner? Like, is this a dream? Is this all in his mind where it's just fictitious? Like, I, I don't know. How much of this movie even is real? I don't know. Well, I would say none of it because I think he's so in his own mind. And and that, like that's what I was saying is they do such a good job of showing that in the beginning because he's, you know, he's talking with his friends and he's like, hey, just don't be anti-Semitic or whatever. But, you know, he's just got the flowery language. He's just got the words. And then I think uh, literally like a scene later, he says, like, I'm not here. He's like, you can hold my hand and I won't. You you would think that I'm there and I'm not. I'm just a vessel. And it's like his body, his voice is 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 completely engaged in a conversation that you would think like, oh, OK, this guy's here. He knows he's here. But in his mind, he's off fulfilling these dark fantasies uh where he's murdering you know multiple people and that's where he clearly prefers to be and that's where he's like seeing the world that he wants i i don't know it, it's 
it's elegantly done, but it's also very confusingly done. <laughs> so does he actually kill anyone throughout the point of the movie? No. The one character that I think you can actually argue on whether he kills someone or not is the homeless man. I think that's the one argument you could make. However, I don't believe that's the case. Right. Because it's in a dark alley. There's absolutely nobody around. When he stabs him, he pulls the knife out of like his briefcase, mm-hmm. which A is just a very strange spot. And that didn't look very, I don't know, like normal of a process right. to pull that out. And then when he's stabbing the homeless man, the dog just kind of stands there robotically, which if we know anything about animals, yeah, violent acts against what we presume to be the owner of the dog. There's no way that thing would just sit there and, and not say a damn word. Mm-hmm. There's no way, right? So I think that there's an argument to be made. I see a lot of people online talking about that was his only kill. But I think there's also fictitious things there as well and some things that Mary Heron, the director, sets up for you to be able to see that that didn't happen either. I also think that that's shown uh, that his... You mentioned him uh, not killing uh, his secretary. But I also think it's shown that it's all in his head when he tries to kill... uh, Oh, God, I can't remember his name. Um his lover's boyfriend yep yeah um lewis yep. yeah when he when he tries to kill lewis in, in the bathroom stall and he goes to put his hands around his neck and dude just like you know tells him like you know i've wanted you for so long and it's like and he like runs away and it's not even like it's not like out of disgust or like anything like that it's that he realizes this is a real moment. He's like, he's not in his head right now. And and he has to get away from that because that's not something he really can do. It's all fantasy. And I think he says at some point in, during the movie that his nighttime, uh, you know, exploits are starting to bleed into his daytime. Yep. And it's like, yeah, it's like he's losing his grip on his sanity and what is real and what isn't. And as, as we can see, as the film goes on. So I want to talk about the ending because I do have um, not a theory as much as some symbolism to talk about. So the final scene, he ends sitting down with his buddies and he's drinking. And of course, cinematography wise, it's focused on him. And then the final, final um shot zooms in on him but behind him there's a door and the door says this is not an exit which by all accounts is a very regular thing to have in a restaurant a hotel Mm -hmm. like those are very frequent however there's definitely intention behind let's put this shot make it very clearly in the frame so everyone can see it and that's a that's something that a lot of people probably don't even think about especially since it's zooming in slowly and um, the movie's wrapping up. There's a monologue going on. We just got the bombshell of like, what is going on? So this is not an exit. Apparently that is a reference to no exit, which is a play by Jean Paul Sartre. And 
if I butcher that, I apologize. But it's an, and it's a reference to a play called No Exit, where there are these people inside the play, No Exit. There's these people who are in a room and they can't leave the room. And it is later determined that that room is hell and they are in hell and they can't leave. And by the end of the play, they do have an opportunity to leave, yet none of them decide to. I think the heavy symbolism in there is that in the play, they know they're in this disastrous world. They're literally in hell. They are in a place that is not necessarily, I don't want to say not real, but like not their true environment. They are in a place that is full of um, like lies and hatreds and bad things yet they choose to stay there it's it's a distant reality from their normal lives and they have the opportunity to leave and they choose to stay there where does this connect with american psycho so mary heron specifically wanted that piece to be in there in the sense of saying that patrick bateman now can in essence escape this reality that he's been telling himself, even though it's not reality. It's a fictitious world that is similar to hell where he is living this life that is just, you know, disgusting and killing and foreign, but it's not real. And he has the opportunity to leave, but he doesn't. He doesn't. And in the final scene, um, gosh, he, his final quote, which I'm struggling to pull up at the moment, but his final quote is very similar to that as well. well. He says this this confession means nothing. Yeah, this confession means nothing. Yeah, which basically is saying thank you, which basically is saying that the confession that everyone is still alive and that he's innocent, and that he didn't do anything. It means nothing because he's going to choose to stay in that fictitious reality. He's going to choose to stay in hell. And I, I'm a big time symbolism person. Like, that's just who I am. Mm-hmm. I love when movies drop in these just remarkably symbolic meanings and messages. And this isn't something that I knew. I didn't know about the play. But, like, upon further examination, like, there's a lot of evidence on the Internet that suggests these two things are connected. This is not an exit. Reference to the play, no exit. Characters are stuck in this fictitious environment stuck in this environment this distorted reality where they are in hell and they are not who they are supposed to be they have the opportunity to leave and they don't and in american psycho he is just given the opportunity to leave but the fact that this is not an exit is the sign that's right in front of him and he says this confession means nothing you would like to think means that he has an opportunity to leave this distorted reality and everything we've just seen, but he doesn't want to. Which I think is really, again, I have reason to be disturbed. <laughs> um, yeah. As, as far as movies go, dealing with a person of, you know, uh, dealing with psychosis, even though it was kind of muddled towards the end, uh, I felt like I was there. Like I feel like they did a good job of putting us in, in his mindset, and and really understanding what he sees and and why it it's, you know, what what is actually going on through his mind and the the 
the insanity that it puts him through, even though, you know, saying he pretty much welcomes it. Um, So, yeah, for me, like uh, that, that was that was a pretty good job. I feel like they executed that really, really well. Um, I think his hatred is very interesting because, like you said, he doesn't kill his secretary. Uh, but all of his all of his quote unquote kills are of you know people of this sort of uh, yuppie culture because this was the 1980s, so yuppie culture was big back then. You know, young urban professionals. That's what yuppie uh, comes from. These young urban professionals they made a ridiculous amount of money in a very short period of time. They're all super young. Like he was 27 in this in this uh, um, story. So all of these guys are like in their early 20s, rich, obnoxious, uh, you know, <laughs> just scum. <laughs> and he obviously has a certain contempt for that. Uh, you can tell by like like we said, like the things he says about, you know, don't be anti-Semitic or, you know, protecting women's rights and all of that stuff. Uh, but at the same time, he's like, so like that guy has to kill these people because they don't they don't really share his views. And he even says at one point, uh, I think uh, his fiance is like, you hate that job. Why don't you just quit? And he says, because I want to fit in. He says, I want to fit in because I have to look like I'm a part of this culture so that I can get close to these people and eventually kill them. That 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 is his whole his whole purpose, at least in his mind of psychosis, where he's looking at these people as victims. So, again, while I think it was a little muddled, especially towards the end when you really go in and you really like look at each moment throughout the film, they are giving you what is happening. They are giving you his perspective, his point of view and why he's technically doing this, even though it looks like he has no purpose to it. They do give it to, they do give it to you and it's, it's there. It's just it, which makes it a lot more disturbing once you realize, Oh, okay, I see where this guy's going. And it makes you go, Oh, then that, that, that makes me feel very uncomfortable. But <laughs> so I want to talk about the castings here. Um, mm. For those that don't know, this was could have could have gone a lot of different ways, right? So basically, um, Willem Dafoe and Jared Leto wanted to join immediately, and they were cast pretty much immediately. Of course, Jared Leto was coming off of uh, Fight Club, mm. so he was relatively well known. Bale was or excuse me, Jared Leto was relatively known. Christian Bale was not well known. And really his most famous role was Empire of the Sun by Steven Spielberg. Um, Lionsgate, the distributor, of course, of the movie, really wanted to get someone like Edward Norton, Leo DiCaprio, even Ewan McGregor was considered for a while there. Um, which, by the way, Edward Norton would do a great job at this. I just I just want to say that. I feel like it would have been a little bit too similar to Fight Club, which is I get why they wouldn't have had him on there. Yeah, but I, I just I think he would have been great. Yeah. So Leo was the the heavy favorite. Everyone wanted Leo. He was coming off of Titanic. He was coming off no. of you know, he was one of the biggest stars in the world. Right. So Lionsgate wanted to pay him twenty million dollars. Um and Leah was interested in playing Patrick Bateman, but Mary 
Heron did not want to. Mary Heron wanted Christian Bale entirely, even though Bale was relatively unknown. And she told him to get in shape. And apparently, you know, I mean, obviously Christian Bale is in tremendous shape. And Christian Bale has always been a guy that's been willing to remold his body. But he got into shape pretty damn quickly for this, despite not getting the role. Mm. So basically, they cast DiCaprio as um, Patrick Bateman. And Mary Heron was so adamant about not working with Leo in this specific role that she dropped out. Mm. And they hired Oliver Stone of Platoon fame, Best Picture winner. Mm. So it was going to be Oliver Stone and Leo. However, DiCaprio had always wanted to work with Danny Boyle of Trainspotting fame. Something came up where Danny Boyle was making The Beach, which was also a 2000 movie. And Leo dropped out to go do it. A big part of this too, which is not confirmed, but I've seen a ton of articles about this, is that Christian Bale was so obsessed with getting this role for American Psycho that he almost like called and convinced Leo not to do it. I don't know what was said, obviously. I'm not as familiar with that article, that story, but I know for sure that there's rumors circling around. Leo was constantly berated by Bale to be like, you don't want this. Like, I should be this role, like, professionally, of course. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I, I think you should go pursue this. Like, I would really love to do this. And he changed his mind. So Bale was so confident that DiCaprio would eventually crack and move on that Bale turned down roles for nine months. He had nine months of offers coming to him, but he decided to turn them all down because he was so confident that he would eventually get the part. And he did. So DiCaprio leaves for the beach and Oliver Stone said, well, if Leo's not going to be Patrick Bateman, I'm out too. Mm -hmm. So Oliver Stone dipped out of there, which led them to rehiring uh, Mary Barron. However, Lionsgate was still against Christian Bale. They offered it to Ewan McGregor, who turned it down because Christian Bale urged Ewan McGregor to turn it down. <laughs> Heron then interviewed Ben Affleck, Mendi- Matt, excuse me, Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, Edward Norton, and Vince Vaughn. All four declined. <laughs> and at that point, they finally, finally accepted Christian Bale into this role. Would this movie have been better with Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, Vince Vaughn, Edward Norton, Ewan McGregor, or Leonardo DiCaprio as Patrick Bateman? I would have liked to have seen uh, uh, Affleck's version of this. I I think that would have been very interesting. Um, Vince Vaughn also might have been very interesting as well. Um, But it's amazing to go through that to get, you know, it's amazing that studios are like, no, we don't want this guy. It's like, really? Like, like I'm glad Mary Heron was such a stickler because, yeah, like, and you know me, I'm very mixed on Christian Bale's performances and his movies. This, to me, is, is the best Christian Bale performance I've ever seen. Like, out of out of everything I've seen him in. This is the the one movie where I really see his range, his level of difficulty. I mean, because 
Bro, you got like he plays dead eyes incredibly well. And then it's it's even funnier to me when the most passion and the most like seemingly human emotions he gets is when he's looking at people's business cards. <laughs> like, well, he, right. It's like when he's like that off white, you know what I'm saying, color, it even has a watermark. And like and like that's when he becomes like noticeably enraged but every other time he's dead face like he's having sex and he's more concerned with looking himself in the mirror and and at his own you know muscular figure and it's just like dude like like he's legit gone and he plays gone incredibly well so um props to christian bill this is this is absolutely my favorite performance by him uh because this is this is, I think, one of the hardest depths to get through to get to as an actor when you have to play a, a, a void. You know what I'm saying? When you just when you as actors, you're trained to use all of your emotions. And then this one. None of them and, and even the ones he uses are almost fake. And I think to that to, to have that level of of restraint that level of 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 power and and that is amazing um and i don't think he was nominated for this which is insane but that yeah he was not and we'll talk about that in a second um so mary heron well first i want to say a version of this with ben affleck edward norton and ewan mcgregor i could see all three of those guys doing this leo no Tremendous actor. Tremendous actor. I couldn't see him pulling off the, like, mask of it all. The, like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm a psycho, and I can go enraged, which, of course, Leo can do. But then to mask it, keep in mind, this was filmed two years after Titanic came out. So he still would have been younger, like, extraordinarily attractive Leo that wasn't super built. Like, which... Is fine. I just don't think Patrick Bateman screamed hot guy from Titanic. That's just my thoughts. I think Ewan McGregor could have totally done this. I think Ben Affleck could have been, you know. That one would have been the most intriguing to me, yeah. Um, I'd like to see a version of that. So Mary Heron, the director, she really has not done a whole heck of a lot. She really Mm -hmm. has not. So this is her biggest work. Her first film was I Shot Andy Warhol. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she's gone on to do other things like The Notorious, Betty Page, The Moth Diaries, Charlie Says. But really, this is what she's known for and really her only major credit. Maybe these other films are tremendous. I don't know. I'm not going to speak on them. But you'd like to think like we did We did Catherine Bigelow, right? She did right. Point Break. She did Zero Dark Thirty, and then she did The Hurt Locker, which won Best Picture. With Mary Heron, she only really does one crowning thing, which is interesting. And sometimes that happens, you know, and a lot of people get in into the business and, you know, they the business isn't where it's supposed to be for for that particular group. Uh, I think Mary Mary got in in like the late 90s, you know, 
And we all we all know how Hollywood was, even even at that time, uh, probably wasn't the best for women, for female directors. So, yeah, it's (laughs) it's fair to say that she was like, you know what, this probably isn't the place for me, (laughs) which sucks, uh, you know right now would be a great time to to give it another try but you know the 90s it's hard to believe but the 90s were like a full 30 years ago (laughs) so you know what i'm saying Uh, it's a totally different time well let's talk about let's talk about oscars this film had none Um, what (laughs) this film was nominated for zero oscars you would think that it would appear at least in in actor potentially so mm. the best actor for that year was Jeffrey Rush for Quills, Ed Harris for Pollock, Javier Bardem for Before Night Falls, Tom Hanks for Castaway, and then the winner, Russell Crowe for Gladiator. Um, this American Psycho is a cult classic too, right? Like it's definitely a movie that has gained steam and relived post its release. This wasn't a remarkably popular film when it came out. Mm. So it's easy to sit here and say, like, well, what the hell? This was an amazing performance. But I would say we could have fit him in. We could have fit yeah. Christian Bale <laughs> for a nomination. The other yeah. category that you feel like this could have potentially um, found itself in is adapted screenplay, which it is not in. And those nominees were, as uh, I can't find it, <laughs> um, writing screenplay based on material previously produced or published i don't know why we can't just call it adapted <laughs> um wonder boys oh brother where art thou crouching tiger hidden dragon mm-hmm. a lot and then the winner traffic i Ugh. what why can't why wouldn't american psycho appear in this i don't know that's actually kind of pretty sick lineup if i'm being honest <laughs> That's a pretty sick lineup. I even I would have been like, uh, it would have been tough to get American Psycho in that into that lineup. Did this movie deserve to have any Oscar nominations? I would say it deserved at least three. Um, best actor. Uh, I would have given Mary Heron a nomination for directing. Uh, I think what she did here was was really really tremendous, um, and it was two thousand. So I don't know if they this was a category back then, um, but uh, makeup and hairstyling. I, I would have given this a nod for makeup and hairstyling as well. Director was Ridley Scott for Gladiator, Soderbergh for Aaron Brockovich, mm-hmm. Ang Lee for Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, mm-hmm. um, Stephen Daldry for Billy Elliot. And then the winner, Steven Soderbergh for Traffic. That's amazing that he got nominated he got twice. Double nominated? That's oh, amazing. I think that was the last time they did that because that's, 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 yeah, no, that's suspicious. I wouldn't do that. A double um, nomination? I mean, yeah, he had two movies in the same year, but still, like, both of them? Nah. Back in, back in 2001, for the 2000 movies, the 2001 Oscars, it was only makeup. It wasn't makeup and hairstyling. It was only oh. makeup where they only had three nominees, which was Shadow of the Vampire, The Cell, and How the Grinch Stole Christmas. 
Yeah, um, you could have fit in. You could have fit in American Psycho. <laughs> Soderbergh with two nominations. That's the weirdest thing. Yeah. So 2000, 2000, right? The mm-hmm. year 2000, turn of the century. Some of the notable films, we're not going to rank these by any means, but I'd like to compare at least just with the you know, general movies that came out, right? Of course, American Psycho, Traffic, Unbreakable, Memento, Requiem for a Dream, Gladiator, Almost Famous, In the Mood for Love, Emperor's New Groove, Snatch, Castaway, X-Men, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, High Fidelity, Yee Yee, mm-hmm. um, Aaron Brockovich, Remember the Titans, The Beach. <laughs> when you look at that lineup of just uh, general films, does American Psycho rank among some of the tops? I would say yes. I mean, if it's not in the top 10, I would at least say it's in the top 15 of just the ones you named. Um, and that's a that's a sick, sick lineup of films. I mean, Castaway, Remember the Titans, Almost Famous, Yee, like, there's so many that are in, incredibly, incredibly uh fantastic films so but yeah i think even in that bunch it it should be either in the top 10 or at least the top 15 um some of these movies that i i feel like are stronger than american psycho in the mood for love gladiator mm -hmm. almost famous castaway it's been a while i would say those are for sure better Mm -hmm. Uh, with a lot of these either needing to rewatch or just unsure of um okay let's see what else um all right i think that's it anything else that you wanted to talk about with the american psycho um so the moments when he's discussing music (laughs) yeah um it's they're so random and uh and they're so like overwritten as well I'm kind of like, on one hand, I'm like, I think they're done specifically in that way to showcase that, you know, how out of reality this actually is. Because I don't think anybody, drunk or not, is sitting there listening to a guy talk about Huey Lewis in the news (laughs) in such a almost robotic and, and, you know, wikipedia manner where he's like going down the list of everything that they've done it's uh it's so awkward and 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 distorted the way that it's done but it's done purposely to to show how out of reality that it is um every single moment that he did that made me cringe it it was like it's like oh my god how could anyone listen to that that's just so weird but it adds to uh, this character and his his state of mind at that time. So uh, it's just really well done in terms of execution. Uh, like I said in the beginning, I felt like it fell apart at the end because it was so muddled. But as I'm going through it, I'm like, you know what? I see, I see how these certain things tie together. This is definitely a movie that I think will... Uh, I'll gain more in appreciation on rewatch 
because I'll be able to see the connections a little bit faster, a little bit easier. But um, for the most part, I'm I'm pretty satisfied with this movie. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I wanted to talk about, too, is I think the editing is pretty fantastic. I would have editing. Yeah. I would have given this a nomination for editing as well. Uh, yeah. I definitely would have given this a nod for editing. Yeah. Um, for me, I think this is a film that is a little frustrating, but is also one that you can greatly appreciate. I let off this show talking about how I personally am not a huge fan of it with all in their head type stories. Mm -hmm. However, my opinions on a film aren't completely what we judge a film on too, right? Like we're, we're bigger than that. We also want to judge a film on how it's made and what it means and what it symbolizes. And I think that this film does have a lot of incredibly symbolic meanings that works. Last week we talked about a movie that its symbolism fell completely fat, flat with uh, artificial intelligence. I think this one does. And this movie came out, you know, 23 years ago and talks a lot about self-absorption and people who are incredibly selfish. And it seemed like that portion has only aged well, not the killing and the, you know, business cards and the videotapes, but, you know, the point of people only being obsessed with themselves and their lives. It feels like as a society, we're moving way more into that. Um, I think as, as interesting as some of the points are around the symbolism and what it means and the, the relevance to no exit the play. It doesn't come completely together at the end. I would have loved a couple more creative decisions. And that's not just me saying that. Like we mentioned, the author of the book um, thought the same thing. The author of the book did not want this to be adapted into a play. Um, so overall, I think this is a really strong movie that doesn't quite elevate to that top tier iconic best movies of all time range for me personally it's a great bail performance there's certainly some things you can appreciate about this movie and i think rewatching it every three four years you'll still have a good time but for me i just don't connect with it enough on a um everything coming together enjoyability wise very enjoyable i had a good time even the second time around. Uh, definitely some scenes in here that are highly rewatchable, even though they're disturbing, highly rewatchable. Just would have loved to stick the landing at the end there. So for me, rating-wise, I'm going to go with a four stars out of five. Um, I, I upgraded that from three and a half on my first watch to a four. This is not near my top of Christian Bale filmography, but it would be near my top of performances. Four out of five for me. Phoenix, what about you? You know what? Um, I'm gonna ride that forward with you. Uh it, originally when I was uh when I watched it, um I had it at like three. <laughs> so uh but in talking about it, I'm like I'm definitely seeing more of the connections. I'm definitely understanding more of how uh, this story was put together. And I know for a fact I'm going to appreciate this film a lot more on rewatch. So uh, solid four stars for me. Um, like I said, this is my favorite Christian Bale performance, but I still have to see the fighter. Uh, <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see how I feel after that. But um, yeah, solid four stars as well. All right. Perfect.
Well, however you are listening to this, if you could please go back, check out our other episodes. We did artificial intelligence. We did moonlight and fences and a lot of other great content over there. We've got over 30 episodes now streaming. So if you would, please check us out. Also head over to TikTok. I'm doing my best to to stay consistent on there, but it is a busy life. So if you want movie content, you want to hear more from us, check us out over on TikTok at End Credits Pod. And please continue to share, subscribe, drop a rating. That does help way, way more than you can imagine. So we would really appreciate that. And Phoenix has his own podcast where you can get more of his thoughts. So Phoenix, tell everyone about that. Yes, you guys can find me um, in my podcast mates on Twitter and Instagram at Film Code Pod. That's F I L M C O D E P O D. Film Code Pod. Uh, check us out. Our third season is coming to an end relatively soon. Uh, so you'll have a bunch of stuff to to revisit throughout the year if you uh, as you wait for the next season but um check us out film code pod twitter instagram and uh wherever you get your podcasts yes want to shout out our executive producer jack beifner edits these episodes uploads them to the world so they could be listened to you right now he does all the heavy lifting so thank you to him for all his tremendous work um from jack from phoenix from myself nathan this has been the end credits podcast Thank you so much for listening. We got to go return some videotapes. See ya. Mm.